You're listening to Preaching Source, a ministry of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary's School of Preaching. I'm your host, Professor Barry McCarty. Our guest on Preaching Source today is Dr. Richard Ross, a professor of youth ministry in the Jack D. Terry School of Church and Family Ministries here at Southwestern Seminary uh, since the, the year 2000. And uh, Brother Ross's entire life has been focused on seeing Christ glorified in the lives of teenagers, their parents, and leaders. Uh, he served as a local church youth minister for 30 years, and he's overlapped that time as his, uh, with his 16 years of service uh, as a youth ministry consultant at Lifeway Christian Resources, as well as a professor here at Southwestern. Uh, so we are delighted to have him here today to talk to us about youth ministry yesterday and today. So, Dr. Ross, welcome to Preaching Source. Absolutely thrilled to be with you. First of all, uh, you've had a, a long uh, ministry in the field of, of student ministry, so you've, you've seen a lot of changes through the years. How has youth ministry uh, changed, and, and where do you see it progressing for the future? Well, if you include uh, all the years that I was a youth pastor, plus all the years I've been teaching about youth ministry, if you put that together, next year I'll have a 50th anniversary focused on teenagers and youth ministry. And I have, I have definitely seen changes across 50 years. Uh, one of the biggest changes relates to parents and families. Uh, I, 50 years ago, most youth pastors considered parents a little bit of a new... <laughs> something that you wouldn't necessarily want to have around. Uh, and that's unfortunate. If you were involved with parents at all, you just saw them as car drivers and brownie makers, things like that. The, the sharpest, the most biblically focused youth pastors today know mom and dad ought to be in first position in terms of spiritual leadership. They know the home is going to be the most important place in terms of spiritual influence, but that can be positive or that can be negative. So the forward-thinking youth ministers definitely are trying to figure out how do I equip mom and dad, how do I come alongside mom and dad to really see uh, major changes in the life of a teenager. A second huge area of shift relates to the volunteer leaders. Once again, 50 years ago, they were punch mixers. They were just sort of helpers. Now the, the best youth ministers see them as God-called people that have their own ministries with teenagers. Now they might express that by teaching the Bible on Sunday morning or discipling a group during the week, but they are God-called ministers. So I'm telling my students here all the time, when you go to a church and you've got 5, 10, 15, 50 adults in ministry with youth, you need to be seminary for that crew. You need to teach them what it means to have a ministry with youth, how to handle scripture, all kinds of things. So it's kind of the difference between the professional boxer model and the coach of a football team. The professional boxer has an organization that exists to support him. Football coach exists to see the team excel. It's an exactly opposite way of looking at things, and those with the most extensive, most life-changing ministries see those adults as people they can pour into for, for, for the spiritual implications in the lives of teenagers that boggle my mind. If, if you think about going forward into the future, where, where could student ministry be headed? This is my best guess. I think we are figuring out that keeping the teenagers in a youth ministry bubble most of the time 
has not worked out well. Actually, we've done that for about 50 years. Once again, the most carefully thinking youth pastors are beginning to say, hey, teenagers ought to be tangled up in the full life of the church. They ought to have multiple relationships with all ages of people, including adults, even senior adults. They ought to be part of the adult ministries of the church. If a carload of ladies are going to a crisis pregnancy center every Saturday to volunteer, in my mind, there ought to be a teenage girl or two in that car. The young people ought to be in ministry shoulder to shoulder with the adults, and they ought to have many, many relationships. I would say heart connections with many adults. Those that do, when they graduate, when they go off to college, they still love the church. They still feel part of the church. They look forward to being tangled up in relationships with a new church. Those that stay in the youth ministry bubble, when that bubble is over, when they graduate high school, they have no affinity for the church. They have no frame of reference for ministry through the church. So they typically drop out. I think going forward, we are still going to believe age-specific ministry has value. It has to be there. There are things about preschoolers. There are things about children. There are things about teenagers that we definitely need to address, even scripturally. But overall, we need to be thinking much more holistically about the full life of the church for those age groups. Richard, the, these changes you've described, those are encouraging changes. I, those seem like uh, insightful uh, progress in in biblical ministry uh, to youth ministry. I, I like the approach you've described that that we've developed uh, over against the the approach we used to take. Well, those themes just reverberate through our classrooms here at Southwestern. That is absolutely where we're taking the teaching of student ministry here, and I do think we're going to get a lot more eighteen year olds that look like Jesus, want to graduate high school, go change the world out of a ministry very much like what I just described. Wow, wow. Uh, how has preaching changed in, in student ministry over the course of your, your time in it? Well, this is so embarrassing uh, related to my calling and vocation, but I would say that what we used to call preaching to teenagers, like in the 50s and 60s, it was just a string of stories. What can I do to make the teenagers cry? It was just a string of stories. Now, to look acceptable, a, a youth leader might kick that off with one verse of Scripture and might hang a proof text or two here or there, but basically it was just a story-oriented approach. Uh, and I'm sorry to say, in some places, there's still some speaking to youth minister, to, to youth by youth ministers that's like that. But increasingly, increasingly, especially those graduating out of Southwestern, those youth pastors are taking the text. They're working carefully through the text with the young people. Now, they are making it relevant. They are making it interesting. But, but the organizational principle is the text itself. And I am thrilled to see Student ministers standing up on Wednesday night, let's say, in front of 50 teenagers, 100 teenagers, in some cases 500 teenagers, and they are doing what I would call an expositional, exegetical approach to the Scriptures. And, and if they do make it contextually interesting and relevant, the teenagers have no problem getting their arms around that. Mm, wow, that's another encouraging development. Uh, how how has social media changed the way that we communicate with teenagers? Well, I would say social media as well as all technology, one thing that that has obviously changed is 
The, the young people are much more visually oriented. That, there's just no surprise in that. Young people are receiving information into their brains in many cases through their eyes as well as through their ears. So most people that are preaching, speaking, are trying to re-emphasize the words that they're saying by doing interesting things visually, maybe a video clip, maybe PowerPoint, maybe a media shout. They're, they're just trying to do something to, to communicate with the brain the way a teenager is expecting them to. And I think that's all for the good. Uh, another difference or implication is this. A lot of, especially middle-aged adults, they will look at teenagers, you know, pecking away on their phone, and they would say, you know, look at those kids. They've abandoned social relationships. They've, they've abandoned friendships because they just want to play with their technology. Actually, the adults are wrong in that regard. The young people are not fascinated with the technology. I mean, you have to look at the research. It's not the technology that's driving them. It is relationships. The technology is just an entree to those relationships. What, what middle-aged adults don't realize is, for many of the young people, I would say for most of the young people, that, that, that group of people that they are interacting with most often in social media, that group is more real to them than people physically who happen to be around them. They are important people to them. They care about those people. They, they might have met somebody at a big youth camp last summer, and that's the only time they ever met in person. But, but every day they are interacting with each other in a way that would cause a teenager to say, this is one of my closest, closest friends. Well, if a preacher and a speaker will acknowledge that, and when you start talking about the implications of Scripture for your closest friends, for your closest peers, just acknowledge some of those are people that you're not physically looking at, but that you're connected to 24-7. I think you apply the gospel in that direction and you get a hearing with young people, whereas if you are insinuating and you're speaking to teenagers, hey, I understand you have no friends because you play with your phone, you, you will lose all understanding with the young people from that approach. Mm, How, uh, what advice would you give to a, a youth pastor who's uh, you know, wanting to communicate biblical truth to uh, to students in a way that that fits their context and is applicable to their life situation. Well, I'm going to give a very simple answer to that, but I actually think it is the right answer. I think the best way you contextualize is you ask the teenagers. What I'm really talking about is, yes, there are things you can do online to kind of understand teenage culture, try to keep up, whatnot, and I will make reference to that later. But bottom line, most teenagers would be blessed, that they would be pleased if their youth pastor said, hey, I'm thinking about doing a talk on XYZ, and I'm really struggling with knowing what, what can I use out of the world of a teenager that would make that make sense? Hey, can you help me figure, from, from, from a teenage point of view, what would that look like? Teenagers would love to give you an answer to that, and probably their answer is going to be fresher, more current, more up-to-date, even than something I might click around online. You know, the trends change in, in the teenage world literally by the week, and about the time older adults finally figure out a trend, you know, it's already old, so, so the way you get around that is ask the teenagers. Just say, here's something I want to do. Here's something I'd like to illustrate. Oh, I would really like to make this point in a way that every teenager can understand. What's going on in your world right now that would make that truth come alive? I say just ask young people, and when you get a consensus, when you can tell, oh, several people are telling me the same thing, you're probably onto something, work it into your sermon. Mm. 
you spoke earlier uh, about the difference between uh, a student who comes up in in student ministry where he's in a, a youth ministry bubble and then those that are integrated in the life of the church. What what other trends are you noticing in youth ministry that that would better prepare students to, to hold their own in college and to stay connected to Christ and to the church? Well, once again, this is a little embarrassing to say, but in those early decades of youth ministry, so often the talks were topical talks, and they were just, you know, light things that I think a teenager might find interesting. I think so many people were conscious of attendance. Have I got people coming? Are the moms and dads happy with my attendance? Is the preacher happy with my attendance? So it made you choose, you know, hot-button issues that you thought somebody might show up to listen to. But once again, those that are thinking more carefully today, they're moving in some new directions. For instance, if, if I'm going to send kids here in Texas, if I'm going to send kids to UT Austin and they're going to be in a freshman philosophy class with five or 600 in that classroom with a professor who has a declared intention to destroy the faith of Christian kids, I mean, that's just a hobby of his, the, the fact that I hit some light little subjects in the teenage years is not going to be really helpful. What that kid needs is a head full of apologetics, a, a, a head full of how do you correctly handle Scripture well, interpret Scripture well, how do you form and then articulate a Christian worldview. All of that obviously has got to be at the forefront of his or her mind. So back in youth group, you have to figure out a way, when are we going to address those specific topics. Now, what we teach here at Southwestern Seminary is a two-step approach to discipleship. We do believe there ought to be open group Bible study for the masses, for any teenager that wants to come in. In lots of churches, that would be done on Sunday morning. There's no requirement. There's no presupposition. You just walk in, sit down, and you get to hear the Bible. That's a great place for Bible book studies. That's a great place to chase out the entire story of redemption, those sorts of things. And that Bible teaching ought to be evangelistic. We ought to be teaching the Bible in a way that people come to know Christ. But the complement to open group Bible study is what I call covenant group Bible study. In other words, it's something you opt into. You have to get over a bar to be a part of that. And the bar is, I am willing to make a covenant with God, with my youth leader, with myself, with my friends, saying, I am committed to a process. I'm going to be there every week. If we're not putting granny in the ground at that very same hour, I'm going to be there and I'm going to be prepared. There will be study. There'll be preparation. I'm going to be ready to to carry my weight in the discussion. And I am willing to be open and accountable with the group. We're we're going to be grace-filled, but we're going to be accountable to each other in terms of the Christian life. So those students, and that, that will be a smaller group, that student, that group of students meets every week, I think for six years, And what they're doing in that very intensive, very well-planned discipleship process is X number of weeks on apologetics, X number of weeks on what you and I would call hermeneutics, X number of weeks on how do you develop a Christian worldview, X number of weeks on how how do you get married and stay married for the glory of Christ, how do you embrace the gender God gave you, how do you parent biblically, how do you lead anything for the glory of God, how do you develop the principles of leadership. I'm giving you examples of what we would call units of study that are part of fully discipling any young person, and we create a six-year process for doing that. 
I've believed in that for years. In recent years, though, I had an opportunity to lead Southwestern Seminary to address that in terms of curriculum. I led 66 professors here to write in each of their fields of expertise the best they could write on doctrine, on ethics, on worldview, on all these issues, and we worked that into a curriculum. So now we give to churches literally a six-year curriculum to address the most critical issues in discipleship, and just because of the commitment of our seminary to the churches, we have provided all of that for free. It is no cost. The website is Disciple6, the number 6, Disciple6.com, but it would allow a church to so thoroughly develop and disciple young people that they can hold their own, even in a college environment. Hmm. Uh, you mentioned uh, marriage, gender. How, how have cultural attitudes about sex and sexuality uh, changed the way youth ministers uh, deal with those types and deal with or should deal with with teenagers and the word well the whole issue of sexual purity is a, is a huge issue uh, for one thing you just have to understand physically biologically what's going on with young people a hundred and fifty years ago uh, even especially 175 years ago well, what was going on with 15 year olds 150 years ago well they were either married or they were about to get married 16 year olds first certain were married and at that early stage, 150 years ago, puberty was not even occurring until later than it is now. It's been dropping six months every 10 years for a long, long time. So now we have young people reaching puberty, the girls 10 or 11, the boys maybe 11 or 12. They're not getting married at 15 or 16. Average age of first marriage for the guys is 28. Average age of first marriage for the girls is 27. So if I'm reaching puberty at 11 or 12 and I'm getting married when I'm 27 or 28, there is this massive length of time where I am functioning biologically in a way that in all other cultures and all other periods of history, I would have been married, but in American culture, I'm not. That in itself means this is going to be a tough thing. Another new issue is the teenagers are at risk just because of adults now that are increasingly, I guess we would say, perverted. Pornhub.com, I, I guess, is the most common, most popular porn site. I saw a news release the other day from Pornhub.com that said their most common search term of all the search terms people use with them to see bad things, their most common search term is teenage. That was number one. That says to me that, that people are going to look at teenagers inappropriately for a while until finally they're so messed up that they're going to try to turn that into action. That means our kids are going to be at risk. I mean, I just think youth leaders as well as parents now, we've got to circle the wagons. We've got to protect kids. But in terms of their own decision-making, their own life of purity, this is the approach that I have found most helpful. A Baptist, moralistic, you're bad if you do these things, it's not effective with teenagers. Now, you do have to teach the plumb, plumb bob. You absolutely have to say, thus saith the Lord. No question about it. But, but to, to, to then teach, okay, what's the motivation for purity? Yes, we have told them specifically what God says about the place of sex in marriage, gender. All, we teach all of that. Where do they get the motivation? This is where I think the young people get the motivation. 
They need to fall head over heels in love with Jesus. It is love and adoration toward him, not just a a frothy kind of love, but they have to adore him as the king of the universe. They have to get up every morning and literally pray before his throne. They have to see his majesty clear as anything. They need to say on prom night when those hormones are racing, I am choosing to live God's way tonight for his glory, not because I'll disappoint the Baptist, but because of his great glory. What if they stay single their entire lives? What, what if they are celibate their entire lives? Well, I think you go to heaven at 90 or 100 and you kneel before Christ and you say, all of that was for you. I think when it's for him, that is the strongest possible motivation. Wow, I, that's, that's great advice for adults as well as for students. My, how, how has the role of the family changed in, in uh, youth ministry over the last few years? Well, one of the reasons, you know, I'm a professor of youth ministry, so you can't expect me to be objective. But one of the reasons I think you go to school before you become a youth minister, and I think specifically one of the reasons you come to Southwestern Seminary, we are training youth pastors how to impact parents and families. I mean, we're doing that carefully. I have an entire class where for a semester, all we're doing in that class is showing the the student pastor carefully how to impact mom and dad. Really, we, we point them in three directions. Number one, we talk with them about how do you impact the spiritual lives of the parents themselves. And I know that sounds strange, most churches would say, yeah, but we hired you to, you know, impact the kids. Well, the question is, how do you make the greatest impact on the kids? You do that through mom and dad. So anytime the youth minister can get before mom and dad and anytime he can take them on family-related activities, outings, programs, always he's saying, speaking, preaching with them to try to impact their own experience in Christ. Number two, We're trying to show them how to spiritually lead parents to lead at home. Most moms and dads today in the Baptist church, they did not grow up in a house where there was anything that was like spiritual leadership at home. Those families didn't worship as a family at home. We we lost a whole generation that did not do that. So to just scream at mom and dad today and say, well, boy, you ought to be leading your kids at home, most of them would scratch their heads and say, Okay, I understand that you're screaming at me, but I don't know what to go home and do. So we're showing the youth pastor how to show mom and dad very specifically, very practically, this is the way you spiritually lead your teenagers at home. The third issue is we're showing youth ministers how to teach mom and dad how to parent, of course, from a biblical perspective. And I know that sounds strange because a lot of our youth pastors might be 10 years younger than mom and dad, might not even have children. But the principles of parenting are well known. That that This is not a mystery. It's just mom and dad are not doing it very well. One of the reasons we know they're not doing it very well is that the relationship, the heart connection between mom and dad and the kids at church, you can often see on the surface of things that all is not well. So the correction to that is turning loose some youth pastors that are competent. They have been trained at a master's level to know how you teach parents how to parent, and you let them guide mom and dad toward doing that better. Net result of that, obviously, is going to be more spiritual impact. So to me, that those are just massive issues right now in youth ministry. Dr. Ross, one of the things that I'm hearing loud and clear here is a, a, a word to senior pastors, and probably most of our listeners would be preachers, senior pastors. What I'm hearing is, wow, 
Pastor, uh, you need to see, if you have a youth minister on your staff, uh, you need to see him not as the guy who keeps the youth ministry bubble working while you pay attention to the adults, but this is your partner in ministry that you, the two of you, need to be a team. The two of you need to be constantly talking strategy about not just reaching adults, but ministering to the whole family together to, you know, what does he do? What does you, what do you do? to minister to your students, to minister to the parents of those students. I'm, boy, this just shouts loudly for me. My experience has been more as a senior pastor, uh, but this just shouts loudly as me as, wow, there needs to be some coordinated strategy between senior pastors and, and youth pastors on how we minister to the total family. Is that something that makes sense to you? It absolutely does. And actually, I spend a lot of time around this place trying to figure out how we come alongside the senior pastor, how we help him think new, fresh thoughts about youth ministry, so that that person will go out and lead the church to call a new kind of youth pastor. Uh, I have a website, richardaross.com, richardaross.com. A senior pastor can click around and very quickly see the books that I've done, some of them specifically written to the senior pastor that, that would pretty well encapsulate everything we've talked about in this if, interview and, and would thoroughly describe what I think the youth pastor should look like into the future. You know, a few voices are saying, fire every youth minister, get, get rid of every bit of youth ministry. I do not believe that. I think there's a strong biblical rationale for the position of youth minister, but that position does have to change if we're going to turn out world-changing disciples. Mm. Uh, Rich, what, what resources would you recommend to pastors who, who want to think more carefully about communicating with students both inside and outside the church? Uh, two, I would mention, especially for the pastor that's interested in how do I tap into culture, how do I understand what, how culture is influencing the young people, how could I use a piece of culture as an as a, uh, illustration for a sermon. One, one uh, service I would describe to you is called the Center for Parent and Youth Understanding. I'll give you the address, cpyu.org, cpyu.org. Org. That, that those are the best folk in the country on keeping up with culture. I mean, literally by the week, like what song is hot this week? What movie are the teenagers seeing this week? Most pastors would find that site extremely helpful for just staying fresh, making their, their sermons sound relevant. The other one I'll mention is a service called Plugged In, Plugged In. That is at Focus on the Family. The address is family.org, family.org. Once again, they do a great job. This is what the teenagers are into right now. This is how this new video game works. Uh, once again, both free resources, just a great place to click around and say, okay, there's an illustration I can use this coming Sunday. Uh, plugged in at family.org. Uh, you mentioned cpu.org. And then uh, Richard's own uh, 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 curriculum that we've developed here at Southwestern is found at Disciple 6, that's disciple6.com, uh, and then richardaross.com. Uh, our guest today on Preaching Source has been Dr. Richard Ross. Uh, he knows more about student ministry than anyone I know, and you've heard a little bit of that today. I'd encourage you to follow up with these resources. Dr. Ross, thank you so much for being with us. It's been a joy. Thank you.